Welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam, and today we will be discussing three of my bold predictions for this upcoming 2023 college football season. I intend to produce many more of these videos as, one, it's enjoyable making them, and two, I have a lot of predictions for the 2023 season, more than three of which definitely classify as a bold prediction. However, before we get into my analysis, opinions, and thoughts, I want you guys to comment three of your own bold predictions for this coming season down in the comments below. That's because I not only like thinking of my own predictions, giving analysis on them, and also talking about stuff that I think, I also enjoy talking about things that others think, and especially what you, the viewer, and commenter, and subscriber think as well. I always learn something when I look through my comments on all of my videos, whether I learn one thing, two things, three things, four things, five, six, sometimes a lot more than that. It's always enjoyable to look through other content creators in the college football space and also my viewers who more often than not know multiple things about the sport. So with all that set aside, please comment your own predictions down below and I will make videos reacting to them, grading them, and so on. But without further ado, let's get into the show. And before I forget, please make sure to subscribe to the channel and hit the notification bell so you can get more college football content, more bold predictions, and also like this video. So number one, as you've already seen, is Michigan and Ohio State will face off twice this season. Once in Ann Arbor, once in the national title game. You heard me correctly. What this, this year will be what last year could have been, but it will be even better because while a lot of the college football world, and I'm going to look specifically at the SEC, even though I think long-term they're the best college football conference, I don't see anyone, any conference really long-term performing better in the postseason than the SEC. I don't. Mainly because whether it's recruiting, that's the main thing, is recruiting, resources, money, a pure dedication, something that non-SEC fans will hate, but it's the truth. Most SEC schools just love football more than a lot of other schools. And also because, for a minor reason, but still one that's important, all the main bowl games and most of the stadiums that are going to be played in by championship teams in the college football playoff will be in the middle to south portion of the country. So there's also the weather. But all that said, Georgia and Alabama lose a lot of production. TCU loses a lot of production. And even though I think Alabama, Georgia especially, but even TCU, we'll, we'll see where they are. But I don't think any of them are going to have losing records or anything, though TCU could. All in all, I think that Michigan and Ohio State are poised to take a big step forward. Michigan and Ohio State are both inside the top 100 in returning production. Georgia, Alabama, TCU, all those teams I mentioned, are outside of the top 100. Michigan's top five nationally in returning production. And Ohio State, I'm pretty sure, is top 50. If not, they're definitely top 75. Once in Ann Arbor, once in the national championship game. Now, let's think about how likely this is. It's definitely not a guarantee. 
And it's definitely not, I would say, 90% chance or something that this will happen. Because last year, a lot of things had to roll Ohio State's way for them to get in the college football playoff. USC had to lose to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. If Tennessee doesn't lose to South Carolina, the fact that they're an SEC team, even though Ohio State was the better team, and they proved that, they proved that they were better than Tennessee just by how close they played Georgia, even if Tennessee didn't overlook South Carolina and lose in that humiliating game, by virtue of playing the number one team, playing Alabama, having the harder strength of schedule, and only losing to the number one team, Tennessee would have gotten in as the four seed at 11-1. and one. Ohio State would have been number five. Different things had to roll Ohio State's way for them to get in. Also, what helped Ohio State is they had the tougher strength of schedule than Michigan did. And that's going to be something that, again, in order to maximize the chance of this happening this season, the team with the weaker strength of schedule, which again is Michigan, is probably going to have to win, at least to increase the odds of this happening, and other things might have to roll Michigan and Ohio State's way. I think a lot of this is going to happen with the ACC cannibalizing itself, the Pac-12 and Big 12 doing likewise, and the SEC, it's Georgia and Alabama as the clear number one, number two. LSU, I think, is kind of in the same space that Penn State is in the Big Ten, where they could do some damage, but, and I respect Penn State this year. I like Drew Aller. Their offensive line is the best it's going to be in years. They finally have a, a unicorn-esque player at running back in Nicholas Singleton, and they have good tight ends. And their defense, it's loaded with guys like Abdul Carter and Kalen King, but they their ceiling at a national level, and I'm saying this with all the respect in the world, is not close to the Wolverines or the Buckeyes through a combination of returning production, recruiting talent, the fact that Ohio State and Michigan are using the transfer portal in a much superior way compared to Penn State, and Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day, in my opinion, are much better in-game coaches and managers than James Franklin will ever be. But all that being said, Penn State and LSU are in that category where they can contend for their conference, I just don't know if they will. And clearly, as in this bold prediction, I don't think Penn State will, because Michigan and Ohio State will be the big two in their conference. They will both be top four teams, and in my own opinion, they will be the number one and number two team in the country. And the second part to this is whoever wins in Ann Arbor also wins the national championship game. So I talked about how Michigan in order to maximize the chance of this happening, has to win this game because they have the weaker strength of schedule. But I also think with the way that college football will turn out this year, Georgia dominating the SEC, Alabama has a tough schedule, and they lose a lot of production. I think that results in them losing a regular season game. Same with LSU. So the SEC West champion will lose to Georgia and lose a regular season game, which means they're out of the playoff. So you have Georgia, who I think is basically a guarantee to get in with their weak schedule and the fact that, look, I almost think they're a lock to win their division. Not almost, they're definitely a lock to win their division. The Pac-12, Big 12, ACC, you never know if you're going to get a playoff team out of there. 
I think all in all, Michigan or Ohio State could afford to lose this game, and it's more likely than not that they will get in if they win all other of their 11 games in dominant fashion, which I think they will. I think they will blow out or come close to blowing out every other opponent they face in the regular season or postseason, unless Georgia matches up with Michigan. If Georgia matches up with Ohio State just by virtue of schemes, and the fact that Ohio State's wide receiver core definitely has an advantage over Georgia's secondary and defense, Ohio State could toast Georgia. That could be another bold prediction. But anyway, I think whoever wins in Ann Arbor will also win the national title. So if Ohio State comes in to the big house and they win, and they rematch in the national title game, I still think Ohio State wins it. If Michigan beats Ohio State in Ann Arbor and they rematch, on that neutral field in, in the national championship, I think Michigan's going 15-0 instead of Ohio State going 15-0. I think one of these teams is going to go 15-0, and I think whoever wins in Ann Arbor gets that virtue. Jim Harbaugh or Ryan Day will go 2-0 against each other. And it's something that isn't the most likely thing in the world, and it's far from likely once you add this second part to the bold prediction of them matching up twice in the season, the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. But it's also something that in the future is more likely to happen. With the 12-team playoff coming in in 2024, and also with the Big Ten abolishing divisions in 2024, there's a chance that these teams could match up three times. And then matching up two times might be something that's more common than isn't, as long as both remain in the top of the Big Ten, of course. Both teams have five-star quarterbacks that'll be starting, J.J. McCarthy, and I presume Kyle McCord's going to start five stars at a high school. Both had a top 25 QBR. More specifically, I think both had a top 20 QBR, maybe top 15 for the 2022 season. And that's not adjusting for snap count, of course. McCarthy started, McCord hasn't, but I trust Ryan Day. So statistically, they have impressive quarterbacks at running back. Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson for Ohio State. That'll probably be the starting two. Starting two for Michigan is Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. Mayan Williams almost had 1,000 yards this past season. Henderson had that in 2021. Corum and Edwards had nearly 1,000 yards in 2021 and 2022, respectively. Corum well past 1,000 yards this season, and he almost won the Heisman Trophy as a running back. Uh, you know... Of course, it was derailed due to injury against Illinois, but he probably didn't win it or deserve the award anyway. I don't think he was college football's best player, but he could be this year, and Donovan Edwards certainly could be. I think he has the highest ceiling of the two. For Ohio State, where Michigan is strong at running back, they're strong at wide receiver with Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Egbuka. Both teams return both of their starting guards who are ranked very high according to PFF with elite rankings. Zach Zinner and Trevor Keegan for Michigan, Donovan Jackson, and Matthew Jones for Ohio State. Defensively, Michigan has players on edge like JT, not JT Tuimolau, that's Ohio State, but they have guys on edge like Josiah Stewart. Obviously, Ohio State is JT Tuimolau, Jack Sawyer. At linebacker, Ohio State is Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg, Ernst Hausman, Michael Barrett, and also Junior Colson for Michigan. 
And both secondaries, while Ohio State has questions there, they got transfer portal guys, and Michigan returns Mike Sandra still and Will Johnson, who are elite players at the position. So two elite teams, who I think the national title is going to be between them, and Georgia will also have something to say about it. But I think these two are in their own tier this year, and whoever wins in Ann Arbor will take home the national championship with a 15-0 and record. And my pick for that, before we get on from this, before we move on, is Michigan. I think Michigan will go 15-0, and beat Ohio State twice, but it would be just as bold for Ohio State to do this in reverse and go 15-0 and and beat Michigan twice. This consequentially means that the loser, in which I think is going to be Ohio State, but it could be Michigan too, very good chance of that happening, they will go 12-2, and winning a playoff semifinal, losing in the national title game, and going 11-1 and with a loss in the game in the regular season. Bold prediction number two, and this one is going to be the one that we will spend the least amount of time on. TCU will win double-digit games. Think about that. They're one of the worst in the country in returning production. They've recruited well in one year under Sonny Dykes, and they've recruited well under Gary Patterson before. However, losing all of that production and they do not have a high blue chip ratio, leads to some questions. Like, what are they going to be? And they lost their OC, Garrett Riley, to Clemson, the Broyles Award winner, and they're bringing in Kendall Bryles. They returned Joe Gillespie as their defensive coordinator. They had a very underrated secondary last year. But outside of the Michigan game and some other games against poorly coached offenses and offenses with poor talent, Michigan's offense, I would argue, is very poorly coached and underprepared, even unusual by Michigan standards in postseason play against TCU last season. The defense was not the high point, surrendering 65 points to Georgia, in, w- in which was a bloodletting, and even when they were scoring against Michigan, they still allowed 45 points to Michigan, despite forcing three Michigan turnovers. The defense was abysmal all in all, when opposing teams didn't make mistakes, and those opposing teams happened to be offenses with pulses. Their most impressive game defensively was against Texas, and I don't think they're holding Texas to, what was it, like seven or like three offensive points. I forget exactly what it was, but they won 21 to either 10 or seven points. It was a, or 17, I think it was 17 to 10. 17 offensive points for TCU, three for Texas, and of course that fumble recovered for six by Texas's defense. So there are a lot of questions, but I like Sonny Dykes. I think he's a top 10 head coach nationally, and that might be an overreaction from year one, but he brought SMU. It's only 10 win season since before they had the death penalty. He won at California with an air raid. He won at Louisiana Tech and competed with Texas A&M in games there when he played them in a home-and-home home series, I believe, and went 13-2, and two, beat Jim Harbaugh, who's a unanimous top-five head coach in college football right now, beat a highly talented Michigan squad, beat Texas, beat Big 12 champion Kansas State in the regular season. So I think they're fine with coaching. And Kendall Bryles is a good offensive coordinator, and the offense statistically was not Arkansas's problem last year. It was not K.J. Jefferson or Raheem Sanders who you could have blamed for last year's faults. The defense was unwatchable. 
It was pathetic. But Kendall Bryles is now at TCU. The offense. You have John Paul Richardson, JoJo Earl, Blake Noel, and Savion Williams. Savion Williams started at different times and was a contributor for last year's team who was a college football playoff national title finalist. John Paul Richardson's transferring in from Oklahoma State. JoJo Earl was a highly recruited player by Alabama out of high school. He was rated as a 91 in the transfer portal. Same with offensive tackle Tommy Brockermeyer, who's coming from Alabama too. Came from Texas out of high school, went to Alabama. Now after a year or two at Bama, he's decided that he will be taking his talents back to his home state in Fort Worth, Texas, and play for Texas Christian. Same, not coming from the state of Texas, but coming from Alabama in former five-star player Trey Sanders. He was not rated as a 91. He was a five-star running back who's been with Alabama for, I think, three or four years. Never got significant playing time, though he did get a few carries. He's had over 100 rushing yards and a handful of rushing touchdowns for, I think, two or three years in a row. And with TCU and with an offensive line that is also bringing in Patrick Willis from Jackson State, I think that this offense is going to be set for success. Also, Chandler Morris returns, and he was named as the starter before being injured against Colorado last season. Then Max Duggan took over, and the rest was history. But you have proven talent at quarterback, running back, offensive tackle, really the whole offensive line, and wide receiver. They have talent. And then Jared Wiley returns at tight end. Senior, incoming transfer, formerly was with TCU last season, transferred him from a different program before then. The offense is going to be good. The defense is where there are obvious question marks, but the defense does return for some starters, like Bud Clark, for example, and they do have other players who are going to be starting. Avery Helm is the only projected incoming transfer who's going to be starting for the Horned Frogs on defense, and that will be at left cornerback. This, along with any other depth chart prediction or projection that I am making, is based off of rlads.com. I only rarely go against that or other articles from insiders unless I am convinced that a certain player is going to beat out another, like I was with J.J. McCarthy against Cade McNamara last year. I didn't get it right in week one. I thought J.J. McCarthy would start right out of the gate, but I did get it right in the fact that McCarthy quickly became the team's number one choice at quarterback. This team is loaded. Unlike Michigan and Ohio State, though, where we can see these teams easily be 11-1, and not 11-1, and but 11-0, and entering the game, maybe 10-1 and with a loss to Penn State for one or boldly both of the teams, and definitely one will exit the game with an 11-1 and record. With TCU, it's not that simple. They return a lot less, and they don't have the talent or reputation that the Buckeyes and Wolverines do. The Horned Frogs open up with home games against Colorado and Nichols before traveling to Houston, returning home against rival SMU, and also playing a home game against West Virginia. They then play on the road at Iowa State, host BYU, play at Kansas State, and at Texas Tech, return home to face Texas for the final year they will face for now, host rival Baylor, and play at Oklahoma, again for likely the final year, at least for the foreseeable 
future. That's a very doable schedule. Texas is the only team on that schedule who's guaranteed to have a great year. Texas Tech, Baylor, Oklahoma, Kansas State, maybe BYU and Iowa State are teams that could have solid years. I think Kansas State is more likely than not to be a good team. And I think that Kansas State will probably be the second toughest team on the schedule for TCU. I think Oklahoma is going to have a down year again. Baylor will be hovering in and around the 25th, 24th spot of the top 25. They'll be a fringe top 25 team, similarly with Kansas State. Texas, Texas is going to be a top caliber team. But then again, it's Steve Sarkeesian. And more importantly than that, I think he's rebuilding himself as a head coach. It's Texas football in year three. And I think TCU has the better staff, the better head coach, the more veteran head coach. And I think TCU had the better incoming transfer portal class. So TCU will win 10 regular season games. They will win double-digit games overall. I think they will go 10-2. They'll beat all of their opponents except for a road game at Texas Tech and a home game which will be vengeance for Baylor. They will upset Texas. They will go 2-0 against Texas and Oklahoma for the second year in a row. That right there is bold, but I believe in Sonny Dykes. I believe in Chandler Morris. I believe in their transfer portal class, especially nearly all of their transfers, I think will have a key impact on this 2023 team. And then my final prediction, number three, Florida State will lose three games and not come close to the college football playoff. Three games, this can include just the regular season or the postseason it is vague, but I think they're probably going to go 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two in the regular season. I just think that's going to be the case. And I think that if they get to the ACC championship game, like last year, this is a team that I think is probably going to start off slow, but finish strong. That was the case in 2021. It was the case last year. And I think it will be the case again this season. And part of that is not just because I think when you bring in large transfer portal classes, it takes some time to establish chemistry. Maybe another part of that's just Mike Norvell's coaching philosophy. Maybe they're like Ohio State, where Ohio State, as Buckeye fans will know traditionally, starts off slow at the beginning of the year, but speeds up and peaks later in the year. I don't exactly know with Florida State. What I do know is the month of September is very tough because they have a neutral site game against LSU and a road game at Clemson in September. And then October and November looks to me like it's not effortless, but much closer to effortless than a month where you face LSU and Clemson, who are consensus top 15 or top 10 programs. Anyway, I think that Florida State, looking at their roster and schedule, and also their blue chip ratio, and the fact that their schedule for an ACC schedule is tough, they face two SEC opponents, LSU in a neutral site to begin the year, and Florida on the road, on the road in the swamp, and it's a rivalry game, so you know that it's going to be more competitive than perhaps computers or analytics would advertise to close the year. And also, a road game at Clemson, road games at Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, hosting Miami, also hosting Duke. I mean, these are programs that should not be pushovers. Syracuse, Virginia Tech, 
those are teams that I could say are closer to dead than not, that could be freebie wins. Same with Southern Miss. But even Southern Miss is Frank Gore Jr. at running back, who just wrecked havoc on defenses. And Syracuse is a returning quarterback. Boston College, they're a team that I don't think is going to be good, and I think Jeff Halfley will sadly be probably fired, but we'll have to see. But they return a lot of production, and it's a game that's on the road, and it is before the Clemson game, so that could be a an upset alert kind of game there. Duke, phenomenal in offense with quarterback Riley Leonard, and Mike Elko was phenomenal in year one. This schedule is one of the tougher ACC schedules, in my opinion, not just factoring in conference play, but especially when you factor in non-conference play. It becomes one of the toughest schedules that any ACC team has. It's crazy. And that doesn't work toward Florida State whatsoever. Neither does the fact that less than half of their roster is a four-star or five-star talent. And also, Mike Norvell, I like him as a head coach, but what exactly has he proven yet? What has he proven? Last year, he lost to the three best teams on the schedule, none of whom were top 10. He lost to NC State, Wake Forest, Clemson. Wake Forest and NC State did not finish the year as top 25 teams. And Clemson, in my own opinion, was not even top 15. Now, others just said they simply weren't top 10 or were fringe top 10, but Clemson last year was not good. The ACC had one of its worst seasons. In fact, I would argue the 2022 season was worse than the 2021 season because at least you had a a Heisman finalist in Kenny Pickett that year, a great wide receiver in Jordan Addison, a defense that was underrated and even up there with Georgia's statistically in Brent Venable's final year with the Tiger program. And in 2022, Clemson gets slightly better, but the rest of the conference just plummets outside of somehow Pittsburgh, who lost everyone. But that's a credit to Pat Narduzzi, who's a top 25 head coach nationally. I think that Florida State has a lot to prove. And they need to prove more before I predict that they're going to reach the college football playoff and potentially win a playoff game, like some people are predicting. The Knowles will be outside of the top 10 to finish the season as well with these three losses. And mind you, in my predictions, and I have said this publicly as well, I have them winning the ACC. I have them winning the ACC. The problem is losing to LSU, probably losing to Clemson on the road or in what I think is going to be an inevitable rematch in the ACC championship game. And if... Florida State escapes the regular season with only two losses, they're probably going to be matched up against a team who's more talented and more better coached, or a team that has superior coaching, pardon me, in their bowl game. And they will get overmatched, and they might have opt-outs in their bowl game because, for example, Jared Verse could have went to the NFL and decided to return. And they have a lot of other guys on their roster. you got Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman, Winston Wright, Johnny Wilson, a lot of guys who could have futures in the NFL. Jaheim Bell, who was a weapon at South Carolina, a Swiss Army knife, would run the ball, catch the ball, block, all sorts of things. Fentrell Cypress coming in from Virginia, 
one of the highest-rated cornerbacks in the nation, according to 24-7 Sports um, Transfer Portal Rankings. And I look at all of this. You also got Akeem Dent, who's a senior at Strong Safety. Renardo Green at right cornerback, who's also a senior. Florida State is loaded in theory, yes. And I think with better coaching and maybe a schedule that just right out of the gate isn't so tough with all the transfers that they have, maybe it could be different. And part of it, of course, like all preseason predictions, has a little bit of hunch behind it, a little bit of opinion, potentially more opinion than fact, because again, let's be real, it's the preseason. None of these teams have played a single game yet. Florida State, Ohio State, Michigan, very unlikely, darn near impossible. They could go 5-7. and seven. You never know. I mean, Texas A&M did it, and people were saying they had a disaster-proof roster. And look what happened. Disaster. Zuz and the entire team fell apart and somehow beat Brian Kelly to finish the year. But Florida State, this team needs to prove more before I back them up. Their talent is lacking compared to teams that they're ranked around in preseason magazines. Like, ESPN had them top four. Really? With a lot less talent than USC, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. Florida State was ranked ahead of all those teams but Michigan and Georgia. They were ranked ahead of Ohio State. They were ranked ahead of USC. They were ranked ahead of Alabama, ahead of LSU, ahead of Clemson, ahead of all these other schools. And people, and myself, I was included in this group initially, when ESPN's FPI came out and Florida State was at 14th, there was like this look of disgust at the index. Well, the index is a lot wrong with it, but I think the index has something right there. Even with Jordan Travis returning at quarterback, and he was top 15, top 10 in QBR and had, I mean, he went from people making fun of him and wrongfully so to being one of the nation's best quarterbacks in 2022 when he could be a Heisman finalist or win the the trophy outright in 2023. This team does not have the talent. They do not have the coaching to win a national championship, let alone, and this is the bold part, even reach the college football playoff. I I can't see that happening. I can't. And it doesn't help that the road game at Clemson is there. It's early. Clemson also has a very easy schedule. We might talk about them later, but all their tough games are at home. And I think that that goes to Clemson's benefit. Florida State, they also have that road game against Pittsburgh, especially seeing that that's before a rivalry home game against Miami. You got that road game against Pittsburgh, against Boston College. Those are trap games, total trap games. Same with the home game against Duke, potentially. And a road game against Florida, who has a powerful run game. They have Trevor Etienne, and they also have another running back whose name I forget, but Trevor Etienne's a phenomenal player. Could be a unicorn. Florida State had one of the worst rush defenses in the nation last year. I know in theory through the portal and through development and all that stuff and experience, they could fix it. But there's a lot of things that are going against Florida State that people are looking over, whether it's for their own benefit as a fan or they just want to ride the hype train. But I think the hype train is going to be derailed for Florida State in 2023. Mike Norvell will still do great things. As I've said before, I think Florida State will win the ACC, 
despite having three losses, which would translate to an 11-3 and season. And I think they'll lose to LSU on the road at Clemson, and they will lose their New Year's Six Bowl game, which I think will be in the Orange Bowl against Penn State. That's my current projection. And I think they'll have a great year, but it will not be this elite year that a lot of people are predicting, which if that doesn't happen, don't be mad at Mike Norvell. Be mad at the papers, the analysts, the beat writers, the magazines, because Mike Norvell is doing a phenomenal job. And if he goes 11-3 and or outdoes my expectations for Florida State, I could see them as a playoff contender, even a national championship contender in the future. Thank you guys for watching and listening to this video. Speaking of the bowl predictions, because I talked about Penn State matching up with Florida State in the Orange Bowl and Michigan and Ohio State winning their college football playoff games and playing in the national championship, I will be doing a bowl predictions video soon, along with future bold predictions videos, and my SEC predictions video will be releasing tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Again, sorry for the delay. So if you're interested in any of those topics or just plain out college football, make sure to leave a like, hit the subscribe button, click the notification bell, and comment your thoughts on this video down below. Thank you guys, and I will see you all later. Bye-bye.